Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So during Ahab's reign, he evidently had a, a, a deal set up with the, the men and the king of Moab. Of Moab. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The reign of Ahab was a spiritual disaster for the northern kingdom, but it was a time of political security and economic prosperity. After his death, the kingdom of Moab found a good opportunity to remove their nation from the domination of Israel. Moab had been under Israelite domination since the days of King David. This rebellion of Moab in the days of Ahaziah was a sign of decline of Israel's power and of the judgment of God. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in chapter 1 in the book of 2 Kings. Well, good evening. Uh, Tonight, let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 1 this evening. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Kings, obviously a continuation of First Kings, and just as a way of review from when we were in First Kings many uh, weeks ago, Second uh, Kings, the uh, first and Second Kings, excuse me, were originally in the Hebrew text. They were uh, Samuel, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings. They were just labeled kings. Uh, you know, for, and then you know, like First Kings, Second, Third, Fourth Kings, and then somewhere around the uh, the time of the writing of the Septuagint, which was the uh, translating the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, translating that into uh, Greek, and and that's why they call it the Septuagint. There were seventy scholars who came together and translated it from Hebrew to Greek. And we know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek and Aramaic. But ever since the Septuagint, written around the 2nd or 3rd uh, century B.C., uh, they divided those, uh, those four uh, sections into two books. So we had First and Second Samuel and then First and Second Kings. And then really from the time that... Um, from that time going forward even to when uh, Jerome in the 5th century AD translated the Bible from its native tongue into Latin, uh, from that moment onward it was always uh, in those divisions that we see in our Bible today. So 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, then 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And so... And, and that's really how it was divided up. And some think that the author of this book was actually, might have been Jeremiah. But the problem is, is that Jeremiah um, didn't go to Babylon. 
Uh, when Babylon, uh, when Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians around 607 uh, BC, right around that time frame, uh, we know that Daniel and his three comrades, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego, um, that those are their Babylonian names, but they went to uh, Babylon into captivity. In fact, there were at least three different deportments or deportations of the Jews uh, for those 20 years, from like um, you know 607 and 606 until about 586 B.C. And Jeremiah was... Also, um, he stayed in Jerusalem, but Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, was contemporary with the prophet Jeremiah, but Ezekiel got carried away captive as well into Babylon, but Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. And so um, we don't think that really Jeremiah was the author of this or or the uh, compiler and the writer of it, but uh, many believe that Ezekiel may have been one of those people who uh, put together this uh, book of First and Second Kings uh, in Babylon while he was in captivity, which is is pretty interesting. And so, um, just wanted to share that with you before we get into uh, the next portion here. And one thing that we're going to see is, unfortunately, the kings of Israel and Judah never did well. The the kings of Judah, there were some. Uh, bright lights, some bright stars in, the, in those kings of the, of the southern um, two tribes. One of them was Jehoshaphat. Asa was another one. We know that Hezekiah was another great king of Judah. He was what they call a reformer king, along with Josiah, perhaps the, the best king uh, other than David and Solomon. Uh, Josiah led a great reform um, in the in the north in the southern tribes, excuse me, and but the only problem is is in the northern ten tribes they never really recovered from their idolatry. They they never had a great king from the very beginning. When Jeroboam, when the kingdom split after Solomon passed away, remember the 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 northern ten tribes went to Jeroboam, and the southern two tribes went to Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. But the northern ten tribes they continued. They began in idolatry, and they ultimately ended in idolatry. And I find it interesting that they were the first group to go into captivity. In fact, the the history that we're reading, really, uh, First and Second Kings, is really a history book, if you will, of Israel. And Israel, the northern ten tribes, fell into or were taken captive by the Assyrians around 722 B.C., and history tells us that when they were led captive, it was a pretty horrible thing because they would actually lead them out and they would actually put fish hooks or hooks inside their mouth and through their lip or through the bottom of their chin and they would lead them on a gang. They would have them together lined up and they would march them into Assyria. And the Assyrians were butchers and they were very horrible men. They were very brutal, and they were known for their brutality when they took over their constituents or their enemies. And so they went into captivity in 722 B.C., and it wasn't long after that, just a 100 or 200 years later, we find that the, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, finally, not having learned anything from their northern brothers, for the northern ten tribes, they, they continued in their idolatry. And you would think that seeing 
you know, most of you know, Israel being taken away into captivity and all of the prophets had been you know, day and night going to those people, explaining to them why they were going into captivity because of their idolatry. You would think that once it finally came to pass that Judah and Benjamin would look around and go, you know, I think we really need to change our ways. That was God's hope is that they would change their ways, but they would not. And isn't that just the, the unfortunate lot of man? You know, we see things happen, we, we see consequences happening all around us, and we think that somehow we can get away with it, that we can do better. And it's not, it's not true. God holds all accountable, and even his beloved Jerusalem whom he had made uh, promises to David that there would not fail a king to sit on the throne of God as long as they were obedient. And they were obedient to some extent, but finally they too would succumb to captivity under the Babylonians in uh, uh, 586. They would finally come and and burn burn their city down, burn their temple down. After 20 years of deporting them, you know, like I said, they were taken captive in 606. They started taking all the best of the of the young men uh, to Babylon. And so for 20 years, Babylon was shipping men and women off to Babylon. And during that time, they were laying siege to, to Jerusalem. And then finally in 586, they burned the thing down. And they, they murder many. And those who had been deported to Babylon now are going to be living in a strange land with a a group of people who speak a strange language. They would be surrounded by idolatry all around them, and God would give them what they, were hope, what they had been doing all this time. And one of the neat things, one of the good things, I think, that God cured Israel from when he, took, when he allowed them to go to captivity is he cured them from their idolatry. Because when they came back, idolatry was not... Baal worship and the like, it, it wasn't an issue for Israel like it was before. And so God has a plan and a purpose in all things, and he has his way. You know, the Bible says that he has his way in the whirlwind. And I like that. You know, when we think of a whirlwind, I mean, you can think of it a, however you want to think of it. It's a disastrous thing. But in everything that God allows or God directs, he has a purpose in it. And hopefully, in everything that we encounter in our life, we will always come to the conclusion that, God, you are gracious, you're, you're wonderful, and even when you allow difficult things to happen in my life, I will still love you, I will still praise you. Because God doesn't, for, for the child of God, God doesn't allow or even directly impact things in your life to destroy you. The enemy wants to destroy us, but he is on a leash. He cannot do any farther than what God allows him to do. Do you, do you believe that? You may not believe that, but let me tell you that the Bible states that very clearly. You can look in Job chapter 1, and you can look in Job chapter 2, and you read those first two chapters and the first few verses of each of those chapters, and you'll find that the enemy of our soul, Satan, has to go before the throne of God. And even today, he has to go before the throne of God, this accuser of the brethren. He has to go before him, Almighty God, and ask for permission what he can do. And only God can say, You can do this, but you can go no further. And see, God knows something that Satan doesn't know. God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's not, the devil is not equal to him. 
God alone is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the outcome of all things. So when he allows Satan to tempt or, or to do things that he, that, that's born in his heart, meaning Satan's heart, when he allows Satan to do those things and God allows him to go no further, he cannot go any further. But God knows something that Satan doesn't know, and that is what that trial is going to do in your and my life. How it's going to impact us. How it's going to even grow our faith. If you look at the book of Job, you will see at the end, look at the last chapter, and you'll find that God blesses Job twice than he did when he first started. And Job had a knowledge, an experiential knowledge of God's character and love unlike he had ever had before. And I'm willing to bet that if Job were to speak to us today and you asked him, Job, was it worth going through all of the trouble that that you went through to get to the place where you are afterwards? And he would say, I'm sure, absolutely. Was it easy to have the boils and and to be so sick and, and then to have my whole family taken from me, all my livestock, all my possessions? And that's not just some allegory, folks. That's a real man. Jesus said, He spoke of Job as a real man. So this is not some story like some people think of Jonah as some kind of child story. No, Jonah really happened. There was a man in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and he was vomited out, and he went into Nineveh, all white, probably stained from the acid of the fish's stomach. He goes into Nineveh and preaches a message of condemnation, and they all receive Christ. Pretty amazing. Was that just a children's story? No, Jesus spoke about Jonah as a real person. But see, Judah didn't learn the lesson, and they too. And and as we go through 2 Kings, we're going to see a continuation of the kings of the northern ten tribes and the kings of the southern two tribes. And we're going to see... As we go, we're going to see the northern ten tribes continue in their idolatry, God warning them, warning them. And when we get into Jeremiah and other areas of the scripture, we'll see this again. God warns them about what they're doing. He gives them ample time to turn. They do not turn, and God allows them to be taken captive. And then the southern two tribes, they don't learn a lesson. They continue doing what they're doing, and then finally God allows them to be taken captive. And they're in Babylon for 70 years. And then wonderful miracle of miracles after 70 years, he brings them back into their land and they rebuild their temple. But their hearts are broken. Their lives are changed. They are rid of idolatry. And God has his way. I don't know about you, but I want God to have his way in me. Do you want God to have his way in you? One of the most wonderful things we can do as people, as, ch- as children of God, is to surrender quickly. Surrender quickly. Don't play footloose and fancy with sin. If there is a, a big issue or a little issue of sin in, in each of our lives, be quick to turn from it. Be quick to label it what it is. Be quick, quick to confess it and turn from it. And can I tell you that the, when you do that, you will have a blessed life. You know, the, the enemy waves this carrot out in front of us saying, if you do this and you do that, you're going to be blessed. And the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. It is. Otherwise, 
else, nobody would do it. But then the bill comes due, usually the next morning. When you're waking up on the floor and vomit because of the party you had the night before, or you're waking up in bed with somebody you've never met before, these things happen in the world. And unfortunately, they happen in the church. And you and I need to take stock of these things and say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. That was my old life, my old man. He's dead. He's dead in Christ, but you've given me a new spirit, God. You've placed your spirit within me. Now I'm a child of God. Lord, I belong to you. And even though I'm not perfect and I slip from time to time, help me to be quick to confess and quick to turn and quick to just love him. Do you love the Lord? And if you do love the Lord, then why are you still holding on to things that you know you not you shouldn't do? And maybe nobody in here that fits the shoe. <laughs> maybe no one in this in, in, in here, maybe that doesn't apply to you, but there are people who will hear this message later. And so I'm asking them too. Why wait? And in the days that we live in, isn't it time that we get serious in our walk with the Lord? Isn't it time that we put away the foolish things? Paul said, when I was a child, you know, I did foolish things. But when I was mature and as I grew, I put away those childish things. I put away those things that I flirted with. Let's do that as a church in in this fellowship and and all across America. May we be those people who are not going to flirt with this stuff anymore. And Lord, help us to have right hearts, to love people, and help not politics divide us. Because guess what? Whether you're Republican, Independent, or Democrat, the Lord loves you. And he wants to save your soul. He wants you to live in eternity with him. He doesn't want the alternative. And you choose the alternative. You choose your destiny. Do I want to be in heaven forevermore? Or do I want to be in hell for eternity? We make that decision. And so as we go through Kings, we're going to see this awful narrative played out. Yes, it's a history. It is history of Israel, but as we go through it, there's a lot here we can apply to our own life. There's a lot of lessons here that we see in the Kings of both the North and the South. They're going to make mistakes that we can learn from. They're going to do things that we can learn from. So let's do it. Let's read. Let's read. Um, Uh, Because chapter 1 is fairly short, I'm going to read the entire thing, and then we're going to go back and look at it, okay? So look at chapter uh, 1 of 2 Kings, beginning in verse 1. He says, So Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured, and so he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? 
And so they said to him, A man came to us to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed with which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these words? And so they answered him, A hairy man was wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It's Elijah the Tishbite. And then the king sent to him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And so he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire indeed came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And then he sent another sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus has thus says the king, or excuse me, Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to him a second time, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire came down from the heaven, from heaven and consumed him and his fifty And again he sent the third captain of fifty and his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty men, fifty servants of yours, be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Ahaziah died, according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken Because he had no son, Jehoram, or Joram, became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? A very interesting passage, wouldn't you agree? You know, let's go back to verse 1 here. It says that... um, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So during Ahab's reign, he evidently had uh, a deal set up with the the men and the king of of Moab, which if you were looking at a map, here is Judah, and Moab would be uh, somewhere down in the the southeastern part of uh, of, uh, just outside of Israel. It would be there, and he was supposed to give him a certain number of sheep and a certain number of sheep uh, uh, wool every year. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab, seeing that Ahab was now dead and his son was nowhere near as powerful, at least in his thought, he decided not to pay tribute any longer. And so it became, uh, Moab did rebel after Ahab, and as we go through this chapter, you're going to find something interesting. It almost seems like a, a little out of place, this statement.
That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.